going to get Craig a top hat. <laughs> well, that's a fun song. It's actually a very interesting song because uh, for hard rock and 80s rock just overall, and that song is from around 1987 uh, from Guns N' Roses, and all of the songs about love in the late 80s, especially in hard rock, were generally about two things. They were generally either about how much love stunk, like how, how bad it was to be in love, how painful it was, or they were just about sex. I was t- talking to Todd before uh, we were doing, doing this series or, or planning these songs, and I told him uh, the very first album that I bought as a uh, child was Poison's Flesh and Blood. And I'm not sure what I thought Unskinny Bop was about, but that I think it I think it explains a lot. Thirty years later, when 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 I was eight years old, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, no, no, later on I, I kind of understand things. But this is a great song because it it, it was written by Axl Rose and it was written by the whole band. But uh, the lyrics were written by Axl Rose and it's just a love song to uh, uh, the girl he was dating at the time. And he describes the relationship or the love he feels for her in these very innocent. Uh, almost childlike and joyful expressions, which is very uncommon in that music, in in that kind of genre, even today in hard rock. Uh, But this became probably their most well-known song, and I think one of the reasons for that is it reminded people, and it kind of gave you a a sense, I I think, you know, inside that uh, love was something simple, it was something joyful, and it reminded them, or it reminds us, I should say, of that kind of simplicity and that kind of love that we experience when we're young, uh, when we're when life is simple, even uh, some scary. You know, he talks about um, uh, when there's the thunder and the rain. But those scary experiences as a child and how profound and simple and joyful they can be. Uh, and I think uh, it kind of gives us this sense uh, of wanting to go home, of wanting to relive those memories and those experiences. So I believe that's one of the reasons that song is so important. And I believe uh, that's going to tie in well uh, as we talk about parables tonight. So for the next uh, five weeks during this Lenten season, uh, Lent being the time of preparation for Easter or the resurrection of our Lord, we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus. In particular, we're going to look at five of the longest parables. Uh, there's, there's dozens of parables throughout the New Testament, Jesus uh, teaching us parables, uh, but we're going to look at five of the longest ones uh, and try to dig into them and see what Jesus is telling us today uh, and, and really what uh, what the stories are all about. Today we're going to talk about uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Hopefully by the song title you could have guessed uh, what parable we were going to talk about. Uh, as we go on here in the next weeks, it's going to get a little more awkward to try to figure out what parable we're going to talk about, but uh, maybe we'll have prizes for it. Uh, who can guess what the parable is. Uh, but before we do that, we need to talk about what a parable is. Uh, the, the root of parable Um, Para means similar to or uh, comparable to. A parable is generally an extended simile, uh, you know, saying that one thing is like another thing, uh, but it often goes into a narrative. Now, we have to differentiate a parable from an allegory. Now, an allegory is also an extended simile that is also a narrative, but an allegory is generally a... Uh, more kind of uh, fan, uh, uh, um, uh, the, the word just escaped me, but uh, uh, using not necessarily realistic examples. So there's a lot of allegories about 
um, animals or uh, about other topics that aren't necessarily rooted in reality. Whereas a parable is always very straightforward. A parable is always about something that actually happened or something that could happen in our world. Uh, not, not about kind of um, uh, poetic or um, kind of fairy tale examples. So that's the difference. So we're going to look at, um, throughout this series, we're going to look at parables because we believe Jesus, um, and we know Jesus, was one of the most uh, expert um, parable users uh, throughout history. And he has given us some excellent parables. Uh, tonight we're going to look at actually three parables, one, one extended one, um, from Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps uh, open, Luke chapter 15, Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament, chapter 15, uh, and we're going to look at that. So before we uh, get into the parables, the difference between a parable and an allegory in one sense is you could go to a great teacher, a philosopher, Plato spoke an allegory, um, many of the great Buddhist teachers spoke an allegory, and you would go around a teacher, and the teacher would sit all of the students down and would just tell you an allegory, just to impart some ancient truth, to impart some kind of meaning. But a parable, at least generally in the context we have in Scripture, a parable always starts with a question or an event. And so we have to understand what the question was or what the event was that led to Jesus saying, well, the kingdom of God is like. And that's many of the parables begin like that. Here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is teaching. And as he's teaching, a group of tax collectors and sinners, and we've talked about those uh, groups and tax collectors weren't thought of very well, they start to gather around him. And, and they're listening to his teaching. And, and they're absorbing his teaching. And, and meanwhile, while he's teaching, a group of Pharisees and scribes, those are the religious folk of the time, they're sitting in back of the church, and they're making murmuring. This is what the Bible says. They're murmuring, which is another way of gossiping, talking. John is murmuring back there. No, um, just kind of, uh, you know, in, in a sense, mocking Jesus because they said, well, this man can't teach the truth if he's talking to tax collectors and sinners. No way, because you're not even supposed to associate with tax collectors and sinners. You're not supposed to eat with them or look at them or uh, have a conversation with them. So how could he be teaching the truth? And so Jesus hears that or he knows that's what they're talking about. And he goes into a set of three parables, which we call the parables of the lost. There's a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. I'm not going to read the first two because they're very quick. The first parable is about a lost sheep. A shepherd has a hundred sheep. One of them wanders off. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. And when he finds the one, he brings it back, and they have a celebration. The second parable is the parable of the widow or the lost coin. A widow loses. She has 10 coins, silver coins. She loses one of those coins. She stops everything she's doing. She picks up all the furniture, takes up all the rugs, sweeps the entire house until she finds that one coin. And when she finds the coin, she invites all of her friends over and they celebrate. And then Jesus goes into perhaps one of the most well-known parables uh, besides the parable that we'll end the series with, the Good Samaritan, the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. So here are these words from Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 
32. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his state between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a long trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in the country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent to him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything to eat. When he came across to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? But I'm starving to death. This is what I'll do. I'll go up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me in as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father cut him off. He said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatted calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has received his son back safe and sound. The older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you these years and never disobeyed your instruction." Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours who was dead is now alive and who was lost is now found. There are three major characters in this story. A father, an elder son, and a younger son who we call the prodigal son because the word extravagant is prodigal. The word prodigal means wasteful, extravagant, generally related to extravagant living or wasting money on things that you don't need. So let's start with that son. This is how, uh, this is how things went in this world. We... we uh, uh, don't necessarily live by these kind of rules, but in those days, the estate of a, a person, of a father, uh, could not be divided as he saw fit. It was depending on the number of children you had and their birth order. Because there were two children in this household, two-thirds of the estate would go to the eldest son, and one-third of the estate would go to the youngest son. So that was how things went. Now you could ask at any time for your inheritance because as soon as you were born, it was your birthright. But asking your father for your inheritance was basically saying, and this is not too far off from like it would be today, 
although most of our fathers don't have any inheritances, so um, you know we don't get that, to look forward to that, I guess. But it basically saying, I can't wait for you to die. Give me what is due me. I mean, that's basically what he said. It's a, a fairly insulting saying, an insulting, disgraceful thing for him to say to his father. But that's what he did. He asked for his share early. He sold whatever land or whatever resources he got, and, and he went out to a foreign land, and he wasted all his money. We don't know how he wasted it, but he wasted all of his money. And just, of course, because that's kind of how these things happen, just as his money was running out, a famine hit. And he didn't even have enough money for food. And so he started to starve. And he hires himself out. And hired help was not thought of very highly. And he actually starts feeding pigs. And that's not just saying that's a disgusting thing. You shouldn't do that. In Jewish law, it was illegal to feed swine. It actually says in the Torah, now I grew up with pig farmers, so they wouldn't appreciate this, but it actually says in the Torah, in the law of Moses, cursed are those who feed swine. Obviously, there's a lot of rules about pork and not eating and all that in the Old Testament, uh, but even feeding them was despised and seen as unclean, so they made other people do it, apparently. Um, So that's what Jesus is getting at. Uh, This... uh, once uh, heir to a um, perhaps a nice estate was now doing something wretched and something that was seen as very unclean. But then something awesome happens, and uh, generally when we're down in, in the pig slop, that's kind of when things come to us. Uh, and the CEB, the Common English Bible, says, he came to his senses. Older translation says, he came to himself. And, and this is a wonderful thing that Jesus is saying. Uh, Because Jesus is saying, um, as he's telling this story, he's actually giving humanity kind of a wonderful compliment. He's saying when you're debasing yourself, when you're doing stupid things, when you are following your own will, you are not yourself. Jesus says, in a sense, by saying that, he's saying you are only yourself when you're coming home to God. You are only truly who you need to be when you are coming home, when you're back in relationship with God. And and so some of our churches talk about human depravity and and humans by nature are evil. Uh, And and just this, this little passage in a parable kind of shouts it out, although there's a lot of other passages that do too, that Jesus is saying humanity by nature is good and by intent is good and deserves, and when we're going home, uh, we are truly who we are supposed to be. So I, that's just an aside, uh, but I think it's, it's good to understand that. So he heads home, and the young son realized, uh, as he's in this situation, that the hired help on his father's estate lived pretty good. Now, the hired help was not part of the family. We talked about that a little bit last week in our scripture. And a slave was still part of a family, but they could be dismissed, but they, as they were in service... They were still part of the family. The hired help was even lower than a servant or a slave because the hired help was hired when you needed them and let go when you didn't. There was no contract. At least a slave pretty much lived in the house till they ticked somebody else off and then were, were kind of uh, exiled from the house. But when they were in the house, they were part of the family. But he knew that even being someone to come on his father's estate 
work an odd job or two, and then leave, even that would be a better life than the life he was living. So he returned home. But that's not the end of the parable. Uh, If this was really the parable of the prodigal son, that would have probably been the end of the parable. But there's a couple other characters, and there's more to the story. So the next character we see, and Jesus focuses on, is the father. The father had been disgraced by his son's actions, obviously hurt by his son. But I believe, and I think we see here, that no disgrace, no pain, no um, slight against him could have been worse than the pain and and the hurt that he felt because his son left, or 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 that, that hurt of losing a child. So he is actually waiting for his son to come home. We see him in the story on the edge of town waiting for his son to return. But then he does something, um, does something a little strange. When he sees his son, and this is a fairly well-respected man, we would assume, having a nice estate and having nice things. When he sees his son, he runs to him. Now, we may not see that as disgraceful in 2008 because most of us are wearing jeans and you know we're tennis shoes and everything else but realize men of standing in those days generally wore many layers and very long robes and for those of you who have worn robes or dresses you know that it might be a little difficult to run given that clothing So for him to have run to his son probably uh, some great distance, he would have had to hike up his robes and run and basically look foolish. But the foolishness doesn't end with him making a fool of himself running to his son. His son comes to him and begins to apologize, but he cuts him off. His son never even gets a chance to ask to be a hired hand. And he says, bring a robe, bring a ring, and bring sandals. Now, the, the festival robe was a symbol of honor. The ring was a symbol of authority. Sandals, this seems weird, but sandals were something that only a member of the family wore. A hired help, servants, did not wear shoes. Interesting. And he goes and kills the fatted calf, which was a, a kind of a exotic or luxurious food used for a great feast. So here we have a father, and I think it can be argued that we have a prodigal father. A father who was wasteful and extravagant, not in his actions or deeds, but in the love that he's showing to his son. But this isn't just a story about a prodigal son and a prodigal father, and unfortunately most of us forget about this third part, but I think it's intentional that it's the third part, and Jesus kept going on. If Jesus didn't want us to remember it, he just would have stopped. And no one would have written it down. But Jesus continues the story. And he brings in the elder son. Now the elder son is doing his job, working in the fields, managing the help. And he comes back and he hears someone's having a party. Have you ever returned home and someone was throwing a party and you didn't know anything about it? Doesn't make you feel pretty good, does it? He talks to his servant. The servant says, your brother's come back. Your father's slaughtered a fatted calf. And that just ticks him off. And he sits outside and pouts. But his father sees this. He runs out and he begs him, come back in, celebrate. 
And then the son says two very interesting things. First, he says, I've always done what I've been told. And even though you've never treated me as good as you're treating your son. Then he says, your other son spent all your money on prostitutes and you're throwing him a party. Now, these two things are interesting for for the following reasons. The first son feels like working for his father in that first statement is more of a duty than a joy. By, by saying that, well, I've always done what you, I've been told, I've always done what you've asked me to do, he's basically saying, well, I'm waiting for you to die, but I didn't ask for my money. I'm, I'm just doing my job until you know, I, get my, um, you know, I get what I've earned. Now, the second statement is, is very interesting uh, and something we can kind of uh, go over. He says, your other son went out and spent all his money on prostitutes and you're throwing him a party. Well, nowhere in the story has it ever said anything about prostitutes to this point. Which makes me believe that really that's what the elder son wanted to do with his life. He wanted to take the money and have, go and have a party. But he was kind of held by this duty. Yeah, nowhere, it never says how the prodigal son spends his money and the servant only says that the son returned. So the elder son's jumping to some interesting conclusions. But the father, again, begs him, everything I have is yours, and you are always part of this house. Come and celebrate. And that's how the story ends. We don't know what the elder son does. We don't know if he stays out and pouts. We don't know if he goes in and celebrates. All that we know is that he was offered that opportunity. Now, this chapter in Luke, chapter 15, is referred to as the gospel within the gospel. It's kind of a cool little uh, subheading for this because it kind of shows us all of the good news of Jesus. Think about what's going on here. This is, uh, we we can't take the the, the parables outside of the context of the question or the event. So what's happening? Jesus is teaching to sinners, to tax collectors, and the religious folk are mocking him. And so he tells us these stories. And and by telling us these stories, he's actually offering everyone there an opportunity for grace and forgiveness. There are other times when religious folks mock him and he goes and talks to them in, in a very harsh way. But here, he does not. And so he shares these three parables. And, and they seem similar. Something's lost, something's found, we celebrate. But each thing is lost in its own way, and I think that's intentional. The sheep was lost to its own foolishness. If you've ever been around sheep, and we're coming up on St. Patrick's Day, and Jennifer and I went to Ireland on our honeymoon, and driving around Ireland in a little tiny car on little tiny roads, I came across some sheep who were lost. And, and I don't know if you know this, sheep are kind of dumb. So sometimes sheep act foolishly and they get lost. They wander off. Now the coin did not lose itself. Coin cannot lose itself. The coin was lost by someone else. And the son was lost because he chose to leave. So there are three distinct kinds of people in this story, and it reflects how we kind of work in our relationship with God. Sometimes we act foolishly like the sheep. Sometimes we turn away because we're led astray 
by others, like the coin was being lost by someone else. And sometimes we actively choose to turn our back and walk away like the prodigal son. And Jesus here is reminding us that no matter what, no matter what we do, no matter how we act, if it's foolishly, if we're led astray by someone else, if we're choosing, actually choosing to turn our backs, he says no matter what, God's grace is bigger than that. No matter what, we are able to come home. But Jesus isn't just talking to the tax collectors and the sinners, because that's the part of the story for them. Jesus is talking to those religious folks. And he offers those religious elite, those people who are mocking him, a chance to experience God's grace. The elder son in that household did everything he was supposed to. He was part of the house, but he did it kind of with a joyless sense of duty. He did it because he thought he had to. And that's really what was going on with the religious folks here that Jesus encountered. They had a list of things they had to do, and they did those because that's what they were taught to do. But they didn't do them with joy and with expectation, and they didn't have the kind of relationship that Jesus was always talking about that we needed to have with God. But Jesus says, you who think you are part of the house, you who are joyless in your duty, you can come in and celebrate too. You can be part of the celebration. How many times do we uh, kind of treat our own faith like that when we feel like we're just kind of going through the motions or it especially gets bad when we think other people are getting a better kind of end of the deal than we do? Like someone else who uh, we know is faithful is, is really or even worse, who isn't, is really doing well and we feel like we're not getting that uh, good end of the deal. But Jesus says no matter how we feel, no matter if we're throwing a pity party for ourselves outside of the house, we can come back and we can celebrate. This is one of those uh, really non-judgmental moments in gospel where Jesus is saying no matter where you are, no matter who you are, you are welcome to come back into the house. So although the parable is about an actual father, not an not, not a, a allegory, but it's about an actual father who uh, embodies God's love. And so it could be called the, pro- the parable of the prodigal father or what we generally call it is the parable of a father's love. Now the father in the parable showed this extravagant prodigal love to not just the younger son, but also to the eldest son. Now, Jesus came to offer us all a chance to go home. The cool thing about the song that we sang here at the beginning of, of, of the time teaching time here was that at the end of the song, as they were recording that in the studio, the rumor goes or the story goes, Axel didn't know how to end the song. So he just started singing, Where Do We Go From Here? over and over and over again, hoping that one of the other guys could find some way to end the song. And the producers thought, well, that's great. Let's just end the song with, where do we go from here? And the cool part about our parable today is it's the answer to the question that Sweet Child of Mine leaves us. Where do we go from here? The answer that our parable goes or gives us 
is no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we all can go home. And that's where we are offered a place. And that's where we can go today. As we transition now, I uh, just pray that you're all praying that winter ends <clears throat> one of these days. Let's have a vigil or something. Our, our uh, Hawaiian <sighs> vigil didn't work out very well. I think God got angry with us and gave us six more weeks of winter. So we, we have to be careful about doing that, I guess, in the future. Uh, but let's... Uh, uh, let's just join together in a, in a time of prayer now as we transition to the third part of our worship experience. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us as we continue to seek the lost. Help us return all people to your kingdom. Help us come to ourselves and follow you. Help us celebrate the one who, lost, who is lost returns. Open our hearts to receive your grace. Open our hearts to share your grace. As you forgive us, let us forgive others. We pray that you make us servant leaders in all that we do, serving those in high places, serving those in low places, honoring all those who serve. Equip us with the gifts we need to make disciples, transform our community to make your kingdom a reality. Transform us into people of love. People who love God and who love others. People who love our enemies. We pray for these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Make us one as you are one. Through your Holy Spirit in your Holy Church. Amen. <laughs>